This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, with a few weeks of rest and relaxation under my belt, I'm set to get back to talk on the cross. And boy, is there lots to talk about. I'll be joined by Tyson Geik and Marissa and Jemmy to talk things all National Lacrosse League. The San Diego Seals announced their colors and logo. The Heritage Cup came and went. And NLL camps are set to go. All that and more on OTCB. I What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome back. It's been a while. Have you enjoyed your offseason? Are you excited for the NLL season to kick off? Because I sure. We are a couple of weeks away from NLL camps opening up, which means we're about six weeks away from the first regular season game of the 2017-2018 season. It's incredible how quickly this offseason has been. And there has been a lot of happenings in the last few weeks as we ramp up towards the NLL season. Team Canada Field Lacrosse tryouts happened a few weeks ago in Buffalo. Team Canada Men's Indoor put a whooping on the American indoor team, 19-6 to at the Heritage Cup. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll talk about the fallout of that Team Canada camp and this Heritage Cup as a rift has been created between the players and the management staff of the national teams and the governing body, the CLAs, and it could cause a big, big crap storm. I'm really interested to see how all that plays out. Um, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. As mentioned, NLL camps. Um, we talked about the Heritage Cup. But the biggest news of the week happened today on Tuesday. And it was the announcing of the name of the San Diego franchise, the 10th franchise that will join the National Lacrosse League, along with the 11th franchise, a yet-to-be-named team in Philadelphia, it better. And on Monday night, uh, Marissa and Jemmy, who will join us in a little bit, uh, she tweeted out information about uh, what the name was going to be. And it was going to be, uh, according to her sources, the San Diego Seals. It is a name, or it was a name, that started to um, surface up into my inbox as well. And she was right, as she has been with most of the things she's talked about this summer or this off season and the, during the summer. And so she had it first. She said it was going to be the seals um, corporal on the wings form, uh, a fan who used to be um, or a former Minnesota swarm fan uh, lives in Minnesota is a great guy. He's an incredible resource um, for internet lacrosse stuff. Um, he's where I get all my draft knowledge from. Um, draft picks, and he keeps draft picks and orders and all that good stuff, and who was traded for who, that's where I get my stuff from. Um, He posted uh, on the NLL forums uh, some of the trademark logos that had been applied for. Uh, So we started to see some uh, black and white schematics of what some of the team's logos might look like, and it all pointed out to the press release that came out at 2 o'clock as Steve Govett was heading to the microphone Uh, in San Diego, that the team would indeed be called the San Diego Seals. It's a fantastic logo. Uh, The main logo is a seal's face with a trident crown uh, in gold and then a purple undercarriage of the seal. Uh, Obviously, the San Diego area is known for many things. Um, Beaches, sunshine, not the Chargers anymore. Um, but the sea life of the seals, sea lions, all that good stuff. So the seals are there, but also there's a heavy Navy presence down there, and the Navy seals 
are down there. And so the Seals has a bit of a double entendre. And I think it's a perfect fit. I I love the logo. Um, I love some of the uh, secondary logos that they have. Uh, They have a sort of a kid-friendly logo of a seal with a lacrosse stick. It's just really clean. It's really crisp. Uh, The colors are sharp and bright. They're going to be purple and yellow. Um, So like an old L.A. Kings kind of color scheme. And I'm excited. Uh, There was a bit of a weird scene um, if you watched the press conference uh, where Steve Govett had all the media turn and watch the water. Um, Those of us that were watching online that weren't there were all kind of wondering what the heck was going on. Um, From what I've heard... There were seals in the water. Um, I don't know if they were trained seals or if there was divers in the water. There was something going on in the water that kind of took everyone's attention as Steve Govett had them all looking for in the water and announced the team name being the seal. So we didn't really see that on the online stream, but obviously something was going on. But now Steve Govett, Joe Sy and their group have a name, have an identity, and they've taken the next step. And like I said, I, I love the logo. I, I love the colors. Um, I'm excited for what this group does moving ahead. I was a little disappointed in sort of the social aspect of it all. Um, but I think that's just because they don't have a lot of people in place yet. You know, there was nobody tweeting out from the San Diego Seals webpage with or Twitter account with pictures or anything, until sort of after the press conference has happened, which kind of leads me to believe that um, they still are working to get some staff, but um, they probably had bigger fish to fry than putting out Twitter stuff. They wanted to get the press conference out of the way and answer all those questions and, and hit the ground running with um, these new colors and logo. And so we now, now we wait for Philadelphia. And it was announced a couple weeks ago uh, that they had come down to their final three options. Uh, and their options after, I think I read somewhere, over 5,000 votes were cast online. Um, and your three options for the finalists are the Philadelphia Fire, the Philadelphia Founders, or the Philadelphia Wings. And so then, again, people can go to the website online and they can vote and you should all be voting for the Philadelphia Wings. I think Fire is a great name. It has a lot of meaning to that city. I think Founders is actually really cool. Um, I truly believe that's what they should call their fan club um, or maybe a a group of fans, the original season ticket holders. uh, They should get an exclusive name called the Founders. They were the group that kind of really started all of this. Uh, you know, started the Wings franchise as that fan base. So I think that's a nice little touch. But um, if this team is anything but the Philadelphia Wings, there could be a riot and a revolt, and there might be a fire. But we won't know that one until next month. I believe voting closes on the 13th of November. So still plenty of time to go uh, to the website and vote. If you would like to do that, the website is phillylax2018.com. I'm sure once they get a name, that'll all change. So hopefully, it'll be phillywings.com. Maybe. Soon. Hopefully. Um, So again, voting for that closes on November 13th. Um, So again, you can vote between the Fire, the Founders, or the Wings. Um, Nick Sakevich has promised a possible third team. Sorry, he hasn't promised. He has hinted about a possible third team. Um, again, I've been on record as saying that he should stop at two. Um, but if he does add a third team, there's much speculation that it will be in Halifax. There is a rumored and speculated deadline um, of Halloween to announce that. And so maybe they're getting the... Seals announcement out of the way and we may get another one in the next week or so or if Sakevich did indeed 
place a quote-unquote deadline of Halloween, maybe that was just a bit of a ploy to get prospective buyers who are interested and maybe were on the fence to kind of make that final push to get involved. So um, we'll wait and see. But the person that has had their finger on the pulse the most in this whole expansion thing has been Marissa and Jemmy. And those of you who know Marissa um, know that she started Inlax We Trust. Um, She was heavily involved in getting uh, Blog Talk Radio going. Uh, She's a contributing writer for um, College Cross. Uh, She writes for Lacrosse Magazine. Um, She has a huge following now of people down south because she's been getting some of these inside scoops and people have been leaking her information and she has been doing her journalistic right and putting that all out there. And I know a lot of people aren't happy about how she's, let's say, gone about her business and her job. And there are some people that are of the mind of who cares who said it first Who cares who found the information first as long as the information's right? And Marissa has at times been blackballed, I guess you could say, by the NLL community, whether it be um, the league itself, whether it the old regime that was running the league, um, whether it was teams or fans or players. She has been given a rough ride, but over the past few months she's nothing but correctly break news of what was going to happen with the National Lacrosse League started with her article back in July that said Halifax and San sorry that San Diego and Philadelphia were going to be the next two teams and she was right she had Joe Sy in there with San Diego she had Steve Govett in there with San Diego she had the Philadelphia story and all and the seals now so People don't always understand what goes through the mind of a journalist when they get these stories. So I wanted to ask Marissa, and I wanted to talk to her, get her back on the show. She's been on this. She'd been on the podcast many years ago when she was um, a few years younger. She's a graduate of Boston University. She writes for the New England Hockey Journal. Um, She works for New England Lacks Journal. She does play-by-play for the Boston Cans and the Northwest Women's Hockey League, sorry, the Northeast. Nope, the National Women's Hockey League. I actually didn't know what NWHL stood for until right now. I thought it was the Northeast Women's Hockey League, but it's the National Women's Hockey League. And she has created herself a following, a niche, and built herself respect and trust and the professional journalism skills to have trusted sources and to be given information. And she's doing things that other lacrosse people aren't doing. And with the way that lacrosse is going, and if we want lacrosse to go where it's going to go to, that means it's going to be a mainstream sport. And that's where Nick wants to take this. He wants to take it to the next level. He wants it to be the fifth pro sport. And if it's going to be that big, you're going to get Bigger and bigger media people and more eyes on your sport. And not everybody is going to be tied to the so-called inner circle of lacrosse. And this is how it works. And I've talked about this on this show before. Whenever something happens in the lacrosse world, I can guarantee you within 24 hours, it's not a secret in the lacrosse world anymore. Because what happens is the lacrosse guys that were there and saw what happened happen or heard what happened or have been told what has happened will tell people and then they'll tell people and they'll tell people and it goes on. And everyone will always say, hey, man, just between us, don't say anything. This is what's going to happen. Or, hey, guys, just keep this on the DL until it gets announced or however it may work. People will always know. 
And then people will always tell the people that they know can get that information out. They'll tell myself. They'll tell Tyson Geick. They'll tell Marissa and Jimmy. They'll tell um, Stephen Stamp. They'll tell Bob Chavez. They'll tell Jake Elliott. They'll tell Andy McNamara. They will tell the people that they know. That's how sources work. And that's how stories break. And once we get the National Lacrosse League to a level where there is multiple media outlets and people covering our game, stories are going to get out. And information about players is going to get out. We can't, we won't be able to be secretive world anymore because that is one huge thing that the lacrosse world loves. It's to keep their information secret and close to the vest. They don't want anybody to know anything. And all Marissa has been doing is her job as a reporter. She has no allegiance to a team, no allegiance to the league. She is just a reporter covering a game that she loves and is passionate about. And she has employers that she is responsible to to get information. And because she has, you know, been kicked to the mud, stomped in the curb, and then brought back up and and educated herself properly and went through all the trials and tribulations of going to college and getting work experience and getting the credibility. Well, now she's being welcomed back in by the NLL and the new regime. And when she continually gets breaking news stories right, people eventually have to start to believe her and take what she's saying as valid information. So I caught up with Marissa earlier in the day on Tuesday. And basically asked her, how did she find out about the SEALs? Um, the day before, and this is kind of how a lot of the NLL stuff I've tweeted about lately, someone I had no idea about, or I still kind of don't know who they are, are influenced in the lacrosse world. I got a Twitter message saying, oh, just so you know, they're going to be the San Diego SEALs. And I was kind of like, okay, sure. And I just was talking to a few of the people I interact with in the league, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. And I was like, oh, okay. So once I had, and that's kind of how I heard about the team being in San Diego and about Philadelphia and the Halifax stuff I'm putting out there is I just conferred with the people I talked to in the league in general. And they're like, yeah, that's true. That you'd probably be safe to go with that. So I was like, okay, well, these are people I've talked to for five, six years now covering the NLL. So I'm like, if they say it's true, I believe it. And so I just kind of put it out there. Um, I'm very happy to see that the anonymous sources were accurate in what they were saying. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always a, a, a tough tough line to follow for, for a journalist is getting anonymous tips and then having to find sources and get confirmation to be able to go with that. Um, you, you talked about uh, the Halifax name, and, and that's been one that's come up uh, in the last little while. Nick Sakevich has, has gone on record saying he has a, basically a Halloween deadline for 2018, yep. 2019, how, how far do you think they are away in making Halifax facts happen? Um, from what I know, I think it's pretty likely. When I talked to Nick, he mentioned to me he was pretty confident there's going to be a third team. Um, and from other people, I've talked to a lot of people in Halifax who have heard from people who are saying they're really working towards this. So I'd say it's probably likely it happened. If it doesn't, it would just be things didn't work out with final agreements and stuff like that. But I know they've been targeting Halifax for a while. It's been in the rumor mill for as long as I can remember now. And I know Nick's been out to Halifax a couple of times. Um, I'd say we'll probably hear about it next Monday, maybe a little bit before the deadline. Um, If not, it might go down to the final hour. It's been a busy summer for you, uh, or off-season at least for you, uh, and, and reporting the... Uh, the Philadelphia story, and San Diego. Um, You've become quite a story breaker, but people have kind of felt that sometimes you shouldn't be releasing that information and stealing Team Thunder, as quoted as somebody in my inbox the other day said, um, why is she stealing a Team Thunder? As a journalist, what do you feel your responsibility is when you find information? Um, my job, I view as in whatever I'm covering, is to tell readers and listeners and people who follow the league 
information. And my job is I'm not a PR person for a team. I don't really care if it ruined their hype a little bit. That's not my responsibility. They're not paying me. They're not the ones telling me anything. So that's not my obligation. It's not anyone's, any journalist's obligation to um, help out a league or a team unless they have something in it for them, I guess. But then there are issues ethically with that as well. So when I have anonymous tips or I swear to I trust telling me information, they're telling me it for a reason as well. And I would trust it. And I believe my own sources. And I know if I'm, I'm a fan of the NLL. When there's a team that's about to come out, I want to know what they're going to be called. And I really don't care. It's not going to ruin the announcement for me. So I think that's a little nitpicky. Um, so I don't really care all too much if people have an yeah. issue with that because it's just it's not that's not my problem. You were covering uh, the National Lacrosse League when the Blazers uh, were rebirthed up there. What did that show you, and how did that um, get you involved in the National Lacrosse League? Um, I discovered the NLL at random. I was a big hockey fan growing up, and I saw an Orlando Titans uh, Calgary Roughnecks game on TV. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I did a Google search and I found out the Blazers existed. And I was like, I'm their biggest fan now ever. And I, or, I was like 12 at the time, either 11 or 12. Yeah. And or I was, actually, I must have been 13, I guess. So I bought a Blazers jersey and I went to their playoff game in Orlando and was hooked instantly. Like Casey Powell was playing against Dan Dawson. And I just thought it was amazing. And then I started blogging for SB Nation and the NLL was involved and they wanted me to be a part of it, and I started covering the Blazers. The first game I ever covered was the Blazers and the Buffalo Bandits, right. and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. I still miss the Blazers to this day. I loved covering them. I want to go to more Black Wolf games, but Connecticut's a little further out of the way and it's a little complicated to get to. Yeah. But uh, I've been to an NLL game in about two years now, which is unfortunate because I love the league and I love being around it. But um, it's kind of random. I even found out what lacrosse was and I'm really glad I did because it's one of the most important things in my life now. You've had a, a few run-ins with um, some NLL people that, that maybe didn't go the right way yet, but interesting relationship with Steve Govett. Do you think that is just a, a coming of age um, of you as a journalist and, and doing what you feel is right? Or, or do you think that people are upset of, of how you're going about things? I mean, this goes with anything I cover. I'm not out to get anyone. It's not my problem if anything happens. I mean, if there's something that happens in the NL that's negative, uh, fans want to hear about it. Just like if something happened in the NHL or the NBA, fans want to hear about it. And as people who buy tickets and invest in the league, they have a right to know about it. So I always look at it from that standpoint. If something happened involving the Bruins, as a Bruins fan, I really want to know what's up. And so fans of NLL or MLL or any other league, they want to know what's happening. So I view the job as a journalist to kind of provide access that a fan might not be able to get. So, like, I can't get info about the NFL, so it's up to the reporters to tell me what's going on so I can make decisions about what I watch and things like that. So the NLL, sometimes they, from my experience, I was 14 when I started covering the league, and I think some of the people there thought it would be a lot easier to influence me to send their message out and their agenda. And I realized over time that's just not my responsibility. And I don't think they like that very much, and that caused some friction. Since this new group's been in there, since Nick's been commissioner, the new PR group, I've had no issues in the NLL whatsoever. They reached out to me. They wanted me involved covering the league again. And I was more than happy to, and that's why I've gotten more involved in the NLL. The only negative feedback I've gotten from breaking stories was uh, Steve Devitt's comments, and I haven't heard from him. Um, I tried to reach out at one point, and it bounced back, so I'm not sure what happened there, but um, I haven't spoken with him. So whatever his opinions are, he has his own agenda, and my own agenda is just I like covering the league, and when I have info, I think people should be able to know about it. And I don't blame anyone for having an issue with it because that's their agenda. They're trying to do their job as well. So I have no animosity towards any of it, and if anyone else does, I guess that's their issue. You've had some uh, great interviews. You're writing for uh, Lacrosse Magazine. You've been doing stuff covering all forms of lacrosse. What's uh, what's on your agenda next? What stories are you looking at uh, getting out there and working on? I know you're busy uh, at BU with doing a ton of you know, broadcasting and covering games like you're doing now, but uh, what's on your lacrosse agenda? 
Um, right now, I have another story for Lacrosse Magazine some point in the next couple of weeks that has to do with USA Indoor Lacrosse, which I've been wanting to get back in the swing of writing about and talking about that for a while, and finally there's kind of an outlet giving me a voice for that. So that's what's up next. Other than that, I'm working on a couple of high school lacrosse recruiting things to do with New Hampshire and Massachusetts and preparing to broadcast the upcoming season. I have a new deal where I'm going to be broadcasting some women's lacrosse at a local school that I don't think I can announce what that school is right. yet. Yeah. But um, when I can, that will be on my Twitter. But so there's a lot of lacrosse stuff on the horizon. Right now it's a lot of hockey stuff with that season going on, but um, I can't wait for lacrosse season to start and hopefully I can get to a few Black Wolf games and find a place to write about that team. Crazy to think that at 14 years old, she was covering the National Lacrosse League and starting to become a fan. But it just goes to show the progression of a journalist, where she's come from, how she acted then, how she went about her business then, and has matured and progressed into the journalist she is now. And she has become one of the top sources for information. And again, it's not a matter of who got it first. It's a matter of just getting the information out there when it's correct and accurate. And some people... Don't like how she does it. Some people are okay with it. Me, as a fan, as she said, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what my team's doing in the offseason. I want to know what my new team is going to be called or if a new team is coming to my market. And, And she obviously has sources that are either within the league or close to the league or people who have um, found their trust in her and are giving her information just like I'm giving information just like so many others that cover this sport and cover any sport are given information. That's how it works. Some people choose to share what they know. Some people choose not to. Other people are told not to. It's just the way it works. And then there's Tyson Geick. He can do whatever he wants. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Tyson Geick has been um, full front and center with the National Lacrosse League over the last few months, um, breaking down the upcoming season, talking to uh, guys like Casey Beers and Chad Culp, who have just recently recently announced their retirement. Um, he is the National Lacrosse League's number one guy when it comes to news reporting and breaking stories and just getting out general content with NLL TV. He is back with them this year, and he was in Philadelphia for the unveiling of the Philadelphia team, uh, and he's been kind of all over the place, uh, getting stories, talking to players, and getting caught up for the new season. And I was able to catch up with Tyson earlier in the day and just basically asked him how excited he was uh, as the season grows ever closer. I am getting excited for the start of the new season. It's it has been a long off season. It's my first NLL off season, um, and I didn't realize how long it was. But I'm just, you know, itching to get going here uh, for face-off weekend on, on December eighth and, and 9th. The funny thing is, is that this is probably going to be one of the shortest NLL off seasons actually ever, because with the season going later into June and and the new season starting in December, it's actually going to be the shortest off season. But it does seem like. It has been forever, and you've been a very busy man. Uh, obviously, Tuesday, uh, the San Diego Seals were announced. Uh, what do you think of the logo, the colors, um, and just the unveiling and everything that went down in San Diego today? Well, listen, I think it's great. And, and I spoke with Steve Govett uh, a couple of weeks ago regarding the logo and the branding. And uh, being a guy who's got a bit of a business background, having studied it in school and stuff, I'm always interested in uh, kind of hearing what goes into the branding of, of anything, really. And, um, you know, this organization uh, is faced with a bit of a challenge being in a non-traditional uh, lacrosse market, if you will. Um, so they, they had to put some thought into into the logo and, um you know, naming it the Seals is, is great because you do have that tie to San Diego and uh, kind of the Navy Seals, but it's not, not too much like that and, and kind of ripping them off. So um, I think it worked out really well. I like the logo. I think it's sharp. Um, I like the decision not to go with a lacrosse stick in the, in the logo. 
um, you know, you, you want people to to be able to identify the logo on its own, and that's what uh, Steve Govett was was really speaking to me about. And uh, I really do like that decision. And you know, this team's going to be a, a fun one to watch. We've got a couple of teams in the in the NLL with purple uh, mixed into their logo. Uh, the Rochester Nighthawks, of course, um, are, are the primary one, and then Buffalo's got like a, a tint of of purple. So uh, San Diego will will have a new kind of color scheme of their own, and um, it's it's definitely exciting. Looking forward to, to 2018 and 2019. I mean, and we we've been waiting for expansion for so long. It's kind of funny when I when I look at that logo, I look at the uh, there's an old LA Kings logo where it's the Kings head and it's got the same colors and. So when I look at that, I kind of see that. I'm like, oh, it's kind of dicey to go with, um, you know, a team that's very close, the same colors and, and the style logo. But um, it was a no-brainer. Uh, you kind of mentioned it. Govett said it in the press release today that um, with seals in the water, both the mammals and the naval seals, it was a no-brainer fit for them. Uh, I love the colors. I love the different logos. I um, mean, this is just a, a step for this new team. And Philadelphia is going to be the next team to make that step. You were in the Philadelphia area for – for that unveiling, what did you get? Um, what sense of feeling did you get from that whole group, um, and from Sean Delaney and everybody involved, of, of what that group's doing and how they're going to progress going forward? Philadelphia was incredible. The energy there was was really tough to explain in the best way possible. I mean, there were a lot of people out at that event. It, you know, this team specifically. I mean, I can't necessarily speak to San Diego I wasn't there for that but being in Philadelphia I mean you know there's just so much hype and excitement about this team and um, you know possibly the wings coming back to the National Lacrosse League you just got a feeling of, of how much tradition is involved with box lacrosse in Philadelphia and some of the stories that I heard and um, you know, from Philadelphia Wings fans uh, just they gave me goosebumps and and it was really cool to hear the impact that that lacrosse team had made on some of their lives. And these fans in Philadelphia, say of the Wings, are, are primarily Philadelphia Wings fans first before you know any other team, which is 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 really you know awesome to see. You don't get that in in very uh, many markets. I want to mm-hmm. say you know I mean if, if you come to Toronto. Uh, a lot of times people are saying, you know, I'm a Maple Leafs fan first, maybe a Rock fan second. Toronto's actually one of, one of the better ones, uh, so maybe a, a poor example. But you get the idea of what I'm saying with Philadelphia yeah. there. And um, it, it's it's going to be an awesome team to watch. I think they're really going to do things right. I think that there's going to be a lot of guys trying to come over from uh, the field game as well, trying to play on this Philadelphia team. And uh, they're, they're going to do everything the right way there. And having Comcast as an owner – I mean, Nick says it all the time, uh, good owners, good league. And yeah. uh, I think the idea is there and uh, the right steps are being taken to, you know, launch this team in the right direction come the new season. I uh, Like you mentioning the uh, the American crossover of guys wanting to play in that team. There's a, there's a big grouping of American guys that live in that Baltimore, Philadelphia area uh, that are going to want to make the crossover. We saw some guys at this past week in Heritage Cup making their debuts or returns to the indoor game, uh, which really kind of starts to open that door when you see more high-profile field guys trying to play in the indoor game that you can sense that this expansion wave is starting to perk up ears outside of the indoor realm. You mentioned um, just some of those fans and the old-school fans. I'm excited uh, for when this group finally announces the name. They, they've given us their three finalists. It's the Wings and then the Fire and the Founders. And we all believe that it's going to be the Wings. It shouldn't be anything else but the Wings. But do you, and this is what I always wanted, did you get the sense that um, they're going to try to go after those old school Wings fans and have them a part of this new franchise? Absolutely. I think so. And I think that'll be part of their marketing campaign uh, moving forward into the future is, is tie the past to the present. Mm-hmm. And And I think that's the right idea when it comes to um, this team, I, I mean, you know, there there are a few organizations like the Philadelphia Wings uh, to have been a part of uh, major indoor lacrosse in the past and, and the National Lacrosse League. So, you know, I think you really need to, to tie the two together. Not necessarily, um, you don't have to make the logo the same or, or make the jerseys look the same as they once were. Maybe it's a whole new, brand new look. But um, if they do decide to go with the Wings, and, and that's uh, – that's what's voted upon. I think it's, it'd be smart to, to have that past and, and present uh, kind of feel to the team. 
So we've talked San Diego, we've talked Philadelphia. Is there a possibility of a third team coming in? Uh, You've talked with the commissioner quite a bit. There's obviously been been rumors of more expansion. Halifax tends to be the team that comes up. But what are you hearing in your conversations with Nick about uh, maybe adding one more before we kind of get rolling into the 2017-18 season? Well, there have been uh, rumors of another team being announced and, and the deadline for the 2018-2019 season um, being Halloween. So I can't speak much more to that. Uh, I, I'm not, um, you know, aware of, of kind of the inner workings in the business, um, you know, that's been going into that. I know that Nick is working extremely hard in, in order to secure another uh, franchise in the league for the new season. I mean, three teams would be great. And I think with that, you're still not watering down the talent out there because there is a lot of talent that, that you know, wants to be playing professional across and can be. Um, I, I can speak to, you know, the Philadelphia announcement. Um, the, the morning after that big, you know, press conference with, with Nick being there, he was talking about being in the office and, and trying to secure the next expansion franchise. So, um, you know, the right moves are being taken here. And, and you know, no panic moves are, are, are going to happen here mm-hmm. as well. You know, like I said, good owners, good league. I think, you know, that's the primary focus. Um, you want people on board that, that are going to be in this for the long haul and, and wanting, you know, the, the, the league to grow and the sport to grow in that specific city. So um, if it doesn't happen, it's, it's for good reason. But, you know, like I said, all the, the right steps are being taken here to, to have a, an expansion franchise that's able to flourish in, in years to come. Well, we're under 50 days before the next season, which San Diego, Philadelphia, and maybe any other team won't be a part of. But this 2017-18 season is going to be a fun one. Um, I think mostly because everyone's preparing for expansion and the looming expansion draft, I think everyone's going to try to be uh, on their A game from the jump. And you've done an excellent job highlighting some players in both the East and West to look out for. But who are some guys that maybe didn't make those lists that you're excited to see come the new season? Well, I mean, for the Toronto Rock, I left a guy like Tom Schreiber off. Kieran McCardle is another one. I think, you know, Tom Schreiber, obviously a guy that we've been talking so much about with the Rock, but McCardle is the guy who's really set to take off there. And I'm excited to to watch and, and see what he's able to do in his second NLL season. I think he's really going to make an impact with Toronto. Um, Alex Bouquet coming into mm-hmm. Buffalo. I'm excited to see what he's able to do and if he's able to secure that number one job with Buffalo. And Buffalo is a team who last year we were talking about maybe making a return to the Champions Cup final, and then they kind of fell flat on their face. It was inconsistent efforts, poor goaltending, and injuries that really plagued that team. And and now they don't have as much attention on them or or, or weight on their shoulders. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see what a, a new look team does there. I didn't even mention Dane Smith yeah. once again. Um, he's a guy that he put that stutter step on display again in the, in the Heritage Cup and didn't do much of that last year. I think some of that had to do with injury, but mm. uh, I'm really going to be keeping a close eye on him. Obviously, um, taking the, the league title in terms of scoring just a couple years back. But, um, you know, you move down the list, uh, the New England Black Wolves, what are they, what are they going to do with a guy like Kevin Crowley in the future? I think that um, his effort this year and, and what he's able to do this season may impact – uh, where he ends up in the new season, and, and that could really, you know, have an impact on on what the New England Black Wolves decide to do with a player like that. Um, you know, I, I could go on. This, yeah. this league is just incredibly exciting, and you know, there's so much um, going on, and, and players that have the opportunity to step up. And look at the the Colorado Mammoths, for example. Two really big name guys go down on the back end, and now two players have that opportunity. I, I, I think that this season will really have an impact on the way that, you know, the expansion draft and, and the league looks next season. Yeah, I, I think, you know, speaking with Dylan Ward about, you know, losing Coatsy and holding is huge for them. Um, but he said, you know what, it's, it's a great opportunity for some young guys to step up. You look like a guy like Jordan Gillis or a guy like Bryce Sweeting, uh, those guys that will now be forced into a dominant role. But he said, you know what, we're going to be okay. We still got Greg Downing. Uh, we still got Robert Hope. Ilya Geitz is still there. We still have uh, one of the best defensive-minded coaches in Pat Coyle. So um, it's going to be an interesting spot for GM Dan Carey. His first year, he loses his captain and, and two of his best defensemen, and, and it's going to be an interesting spot for him to see what he does. Teams are going to be opening up camp. 
um, in the coming weeks. Like I said, a little bit earlier, we're, we're under 50 days uh, until December 8th comes. Uh, do you have any predictions, anything that's kind of maybe an off-the-wall thought, or who do you think is going to be an early favorite going into the season? I think to make a return to the Champions Cup, the, the early favorites are going to be Georgia and Saskatchewan once again. But I was thinking about this today. I think that makes the league almost more exciting. The Georgia Swarm definitely have a target on their backs now. And that is going to make for one exciting year. I think the East Division is going to be an interesting one. It's really mm-hmm. – it's it's a tough one to call. I mean, the New England Black Wolves back end is, is cleaned up and, and kind of retooled. So they're going to be looking a little bit different. Um, and they've got firepower up front, uh, a new goaltender who's going to be, you know, out with something to prove in the new season. But uh, the Rochester Nighthawks, they're my sleeper pick. One year older and, and kind of wiser. And, you know, they get uh, a ton of new talent there in the draft. Quite possibly could have won the draft. Uh, the Buffalo Bandits, no pressure on them. But how are they going to do this season? Um, the Toronto Rock getting a guy like Rob, Rob Hellier back in the lineup. Mm-hmm. and uh, They really impressed me last season. Not a lot of people uh, gave them much credit, but they came out, you know, to start the season. They go to the um, the East Division final, and, and they held their own against the Georgia Swarm, the eventual champion. So the East is really exciting. In the West, I'm looking at the Calgary Roughnecks because of that disappointing season last year. Um, I think that Curtis Dixon's really going to be hungry for his first uh, Champions Cup. Um, I just spoke with him at the, the Heritage Cup there, and having won a man cup, I think it, it's going to kind of fuel his, his hunger for a Champions Cup a little bit more. And uh, he had a great season last year, but going to be looking for a little bit more consistency. And um, I'll be interested to see what Calgary is able to do. It would be fun to see Calgary kind of, you know, take over that rivalry uh, that they have with the Saskatchewan Rush. It's going to be a very interesting year uh, throughout. What do you got working uh, on the books now? What can we expect from you in the coming weeks as we get closer and closer to the season? Well, I'll be out at uh, various teams' training camps and speaking with players and seeing how they're feeling, getting ready and, and heading into the season. Um, going to be looking to uh, to take a look at some depth charts and uh, kind of communicate that with the fans out there so they know that you know the teams that we may be seeing taking the floor. And then December 8th is going to be here before we know it. Um, yeah. we're, we're ramping up to, to face-off weekend, and um, we're going to be talking a lot about that and uh, hoping to be at a couple of games that weekend, actually. And uh, like I said, I, I'm incredibly excited for this new season. I've, uh, you know, every day goes by, I fall more and more in love with this league and, and the sport of lacrosse, and it's, it's going to be a great year. That's Tyson Geik from NLL TV, and I agree with Tyson. I'm excited. I'm pumped. And it is going to be a fantastic season uh, in 2017-2018. Obviously, Georgia, the defending champions. Saskatchewan Rush, the defending Western champions. I'm, I don't know how I feel about this season. I want to say that it's going to be exciting and it's going to be action-packed, which it, it's going to be. I know all that. I, I just don't know which way it's going to play out. Are we going to see a repeat? Georgia hasn't done a lot to tinker with what got them to where they were, and I'm okay with that. It worked for Saskatchewan a few years ago. But then again, Saskatchewan's made a huge overhaul. New goaltender. New addition to the left side. But the team that I'm most, two teams, I'm most, actually three teams. No, you know what? I'm excited and interested to see what all teams do this year, but there are a few that I'm most interested to see how they react going into this year. Um, Obviously, with Colorado, uh, the loss of Dan Coates and the loss of Cam Holding is massive. It's going to be huge for them to have guys step up into that roster and into that lineup and play some big minutes. Uh, Nick Asello uh, is going to be looked at to play a bigger role. Guys like Bryce Sweeting and Jordan Gillis, those guys are going to be looked at to take a bigger role. Uh, I'm excited, and so are a lot of guys in the Colorado Mammoth camp. Uh, very excited about Jared Newman. Um, the guy's an absolute monster. He's like 6'4", 210. Uh, a big, burly, aggressive, physical defenseman that plays with a bit of a mean streak. And then an offense that just added Brian Banesh and trade away Callum Crawford. 
So that's obviously a team that I'm most invested in. So I'm very interested to see how first-year GM Dan Carey does in that role with a bit of a mix-up within the lineup. Uh, I'm interested to see what Calgary does this year. You heard Tyson talk about it. Uh, What are they going to do after missing the playoffs uh, for the first time in pretty much forever? How do they react? Who's going to step up and be the number one goalie? Is it going to be Frankie Chiliano or is it going to be Christian Del Bianco? Uh, No Jeff Shatler for the first time in a long time. How's that left side going to react? They had an incredible draft, um, and they are loaded with youth and talent and the most dynamic player in Curtis Dixon. Um, there, are, there may be better players, but I think Curtis Dixon is the most dynamic player. Um, he just is way too good and scores too many um, just jaw-dropping goals. And that's an offense that uh, is built to score. Um, I think Kurt Miloski and his whole coaching staff is going to be fired up, and I think that's a team uh, to look out for next year. The The team that I'm really interested to see how they react and rebound as Buffalo. I think Rochester, they're going to get Cody Jamison back. Um, Billy D. Smith is there now. So they've made some adjustments. I still think they're getting a little long in the tooth in Rochester. They do have a lot of really good young talent coming up. But I think until that turnover happens, they're still going to be um, in a bit of no man's land. But it's Buffalo that I'm really intrigued on seeing how they react. We still don't know what Anthony Cosmo is doing. Uh, We don't know if he's going to retire or not. There's been tons of speculation um, that he wasn't going to be back this year. That was one of the main reasons uh, that Chugger Dietrich went out and got Alex Bouquet as part of the Callum Crawford deal for Ryan Banesh. Uh, You add in Callum Crawford, you add in Josh Byrne. This is a team that is going to be incredibly talented, um, and they're still going to have that bandit ball mentality, and I think uh, they're going to be bigger, stronger, more athletic. Uh, They're going to push the ball a lot, and if they have Bouquet in between the pipes playing the way he did for New West this summer, uh, I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with and a team that is going to have a massive rebound from last year. And we just kind of have to wait and see. Camps will begin in November uh, most teams are starting right out of the gate uh, with camps right that first weekend uh, on November 4th. Uh, there's going to be some exhibition games in Vancouver the following weekend. Uh, the weekend after that, I think Vancouver goes to Saskatchewan. There's going to be, uh, I think Georgia plays Saskatchewan. There's going to be a lot of exhibition games. Um, there's going to be exhibition games at the track. There's going to be exhibition games at the LEC. Two sort of hubs where lots of teams can go and, and conglomerate and do a sort of a Western camp and an Eastern camp, uh, which kind of seems to be the focus for some clubs. And it just gets to be a little more exciting as we get closer and closer. And we kind of got a bit of taste of indoor action to tease our appetites when we had the Heritage Cup over the weekend. And the Canadians completely dominated the Americans 19-6 to uh, and cruised to, I think it's their 24th or 27th straight indoor victory. And before we get um, to the CLA Team Canada stuff, I, I just want to say one thing on, on the American side of this Heritage Cup game. At the start of that game, you really saw the Americans, you know, they could compete. They, they were able to hold their own for the first quarter and a bit. And they were playing a very educated and well-tempoed game. Um, obviously, Reggie Thorpe has played this game for a long time, so he understands the ins and outs of, of the Canadian style lacrosse and how to get Americans to, to see the indoor game and through Canadian eyes. And you saw his offense work really well. You saw his defense kind of play an interesting, you know, not a zone system, but but a very man-to-man jump system. I even heard some some of the guys saying, I've got the hot man, which I took a bit of flack for online. Um, But it wasn't because I wasn't really making fun of Americans. I was just saying how clearly I could hear them talk. And that was a good thing because communication is massive on defense. There's not as many hot slides in indoor lacrosse as there is in field lacrosse, but it was good that the Americans were communicating. 
Um, Rob Pinnell made his indoor debut. Looked pretty good. Paul Rabel made, played his first indoor game in about four years. And while at times kind of looked like the old Rabel, the guy who could really dominate if he wanted to, there was other times where he just kind of looked lost. And that comes with not having played indoor for a long time. And there were some times where he was bodying up the wrong way. But whatever. There was a lot of Americans that had that tough transition. But I think this group is really structured to move forward very well. Uh, with Reggie Thorpe as sort of the guiding force with this group, um, I think they're going to be improving exponentially over the next few years. Obviously, for the indoor program, a lot of focus is on the 2019 FIL indoor games that are going to take place at the LEC and Langley. Um, but also, so a lot of those guys were, you know, just getting their names on radars um, and just, you know, testing out the indoor game, see if it could be something that they want to go down. But it's also a lot of those guys getting their names on radars for NLL clubs because 2018, 2019, a lot of those guys will be sort of street free agents, if you will. And that's where expansion teams will really make up a big bulk of their roster is through free agency. And if those guys are able to put their names out there and really give the indoor game a shot, well, then you have guys who are able to be just picked up and signed as free agents and with nothing to lose, get brought into an NLL camp. And you could easily see the next Tom Schreiber blow up. Or you could see the next Greg Downing really understand the D game and settle in and become a steady defensive mind. So while the Americans didn't really show strongly on the scoreboard, the improvement is there in all but one position. And that's goaltending. And I think that, um, yes, it's a very tough position to play. And when you haven't played it and you kind of get thrown into the fire, it's tough transition to make from field to box. And the Canadians really took advantage of that. They didn't really allow either of the three American goaltenders any real chance to get comfortable. They peppered him with shots. They didn't ever really let up. And you could see that that was the really big difference between the two. The athleticism of both teams, pretty equal. Sure, offensive defense, you could give a slight edge to the Canadians, but the Americans are starting to understand the game more and they're playing better lacrosse. If you switch the goaltenders, if you gave the U.S. Brandon Miller to Canada and you gave the Canadian Brandon Miller to the U.S., I think that score is different. And so while the Americans are doing a great job in getting field guys to come over and try out the box game, they really need to start developing goaltenders. And I think that's where U.S. Boxler comes into play and the group that those guys are doing, not only with the college box league, but just the youth stuff. And so as they get bigger... And as the game continues to grow, uh, goaltending will be a vital, vital position to continue to build because without good goaltending, the Americans will continually be behind the Canadians in the indoor game. But after the game, there was a little bit of wonderment. And it came from, I don't want to say an unlikely source, but when it comes from sort of the leader of the ship, you kind of take notice more and the message stands out more. And when Dan Dawson was interviewed by Stephen Stamp after the game, he had a very empowering post-game soundbite. Well, I mean, I, I, can, I don't want to say single-handedly Dean took in this program and turning it around, but when you have uh, good people in place, good things happen. And you think about Dave Huntley, what he's done with the the men's field team and all they've done. You see what Gary and uh, the women's side have done and what Johnny's done with the box team. Listen, we're in a really good spot to grow this game. We just need the right people in place to get this train continue to move forward. Right now, we gotta start making some headway. And, and to do that, the game in Canada is kind of stagnant right now. And we gotta get grassroots going. We need the proper funding to get this game going at the grassroots. So one day, every year we play this game, it gives kids something to aspire to. And this means something to wear this jersey, whether it's U17, whether it's the women's, whether it's the U19 men's, whatever it is, 
and we got to have pride in that. And the only way to do that is to have the proper direction from the board and everyone involved. And so when you hear that, you're like, damn right, Stan Dawson. Absolutely. We do need to grow this thing. We do need more leadership. We do need the right people in place. Yeah, let's do this. And this is something that so many people have been saying for such a long time, that there needs to be a change at the top. We need the right people in place to make this sport go in the direction that we truly want it to go. People have been saying that about the National Lacrosse League for years. All of a sudden, Nick Sakevich comes in, and boom, we've got two new teams. We've got uh, a digital platform. We've got all these ideas to move forward. He has a vision, and he's growing it in his direction. And we all follow. There is none of that from the CLA. You heard Dan talk about about what Dave Huntley, what Gary Gate, what um, Johnny Meridian, what those people have been doing for the U19s. You can even throw in guys like Matt Brown and Jeff Snyder and Devin Ray. What those guys are doing for the national programs in men's and women's and the U19s has undeniably had exponential success. But then when it comes to the Canadian Lacrosse Association, there's a massive disconnect. And a lot of people are talking about funding from the Canadian government and how the Canadian Lacrosse Association lost its funding and there's so much going on. Well, the disconnect has become so large that the managers of all five lacrosse teams have threatened to resign if Joey Harris, the president of the CLA, and Soen Gill don't step down. Gill's a director with the CLA. So if those guys don't step down, Huntley, Dean French, Gate, Meridian, all those guys are going to say, you know what? We're done. We're out. And that would be a massive massive loss and a huge step back for the sport in this country. And a lot of people, again, may think that this has to do with getting funding from the government. Yeah, that's a big thing. And some people think that it's a grassroots thing and we got to get more money into the minor associations and into the kids going the game and get more kids playing the game. Absolutely, that's a massive point too. But another major glaring point is the insurance that needs to be covered for these players. And that is a huge thing because players are having to start to pay their own way. Pay your way to camp. Pay your way to try out. Pay your way to team practices. Pay your way to get all the way to Israel. Well, if you don't have the funds, well, maybe you can raise some money. Do some fundraising. But there's been no help to get these players there. And when you go from the top down and there's that massive disconnect, it creates a situation that we're seeing right now where the CLA and the Lacrosse Canada groups are completely at odds with each other. And the CLA has taken their stance and the Canadian Lacrosse groups or the Lacrosse Canada groups have taken their stance. And this is something that's going to be going on for quite some time, I think. Because I have a feeling Harris doesn't want to step down, and I have a feeling that Soen Gill doesn't want to step down. But something is going to have to happen quickly because there are world championships coming up soon. And if those guys all step down, there is going to be a massive uproar and one that this sport may have never seen before. And so we'll keep you updated uh, on that. We're looking, we're trying to get a couple people to come on the show and talk about just what's going on, but um, you could just hear it in Dan Dawson's voice when he was talking about it, of how important an issue this is for the players. And it's huge. If you go to the peterboroughexaminer.com, there's a couple stories up there 
uh, by Mike Davies. He's the guy that broke the story. He's the guy that's been kind of following the story. He's an incredible, incredible writer um, and has been covering lacrosse for years out in Peterborough. So he definitely um, knows what he's talking about and has been around this game for a long time. So uh, you can just go to the peterboroughexaminer.com um, and find out information. You can just type in um, Lacrosse Canada CLA uh, or Team Canada CLA and, and you'll get the news stories that come up right in your Google search. But this is a story that we're going to be following for a while. Uh, as mentioned, we're going to try and get somebody on the show next week to talk about this more in depth. But um, this is a big, big thing because you look at at all the articles that Marty O'Neill has written about the decline in participation numbers, and that's grassroots. And when the entire CLA is in shambles and it begins to trickle down into the national programs and then it continues to have effect on member associations, the provincial member associations, and they begin to get affected and then kids stop playing and everything that happens, all because of insurance and all become because of amateur status and dealings with the government, red flags are up everywhere. And the red flags have been there for a while, and it's just now being brought to all of our attention, and it's come to a head. And at some point... Someone will break. And for the sake of our sport, I hope it's a loss of two and not a loss of five. Speaking of five, and this is just before we go, we're going to get out of here pretty quick. Um, Speaking of five, the BC Junior, or actually the BC Lacrosse Association, voted near unanimously to do away with intermediate lacrosse and make junior lacrosse a five-year program, which has been something that everybody out here has been clamoring for, uh, a way to keep players involved in lacrosse, keep players interested in the game. Um, In my opinion, it's going to help toughen kids up and make them better lacrosse players, not toughen them up as in fighting. Toughen them up as make them stronger, make them more physical, um, mature them a little quicker. And so what's going to happen is you're still going to have your junior A league that's going to have all the teams. No teams were taken out. No teams were added in. That's probably going to be a discussion for next year. I know that Maple Ridge is dying dying to get themselves a junior A team. But what's going to happen is you'll keep your junior A league. The junior B league will be morphed with the intermediate A league, and that will become your new junior B tier one. And then you'll have a Junior B Tier 2 and a Junior B Tier 3. So players will be able to move up and down the tiers. Um, you'll weed out some of the older players as they get older. If they're not A caliber, they'll stop to kind of slowly start to drop out. Um, and then the younger kids that are, you know, 17, 18 years old that may not be ready for Junior A, then they'll have a level of Junior B to play. And I think playing for a national title has much more pride and much more... Uh, glamour than winning a provincial title. So I think more kids will be interested in making that jump to junior. Uh, And you'll see some kids that are ready to play at a high junior level when they're, you know, 18 years old. There are kids that are able to do that, and we've been holding them back in intermediate. And I think doing away with intermediate is a great thing. Uh, Having five years of junior has been a long time coming, and I'm glad that it finally has been passed. Um, the only really the next thing I would like to see is just maybe some contraction um, in the BC Junior League, but I would really like to see Maple Ridge get a team. Um, that's a, an association that has been growing uh, and winning uh, at the minor levels, and those kids would love to be able to stay and play uh, in their own backyard. Um, there's going to be some tinkering with this uh, of player protection and um, who can go where and how guys are hid within the junior B programs and stuff like that. But um, I think it is, is a great step for BC lacrosse. So kudos to everybody that was involved in this um, and finally got this done. That's it. We're done and we're going to get out of here. 
And it's been a while since we've been on the show, but it is great to be back. And I hope you'll stick around for more shows like this as we move towards the start of NLL training camps, which is a couple weeks away. The NLL season is just over a month away. And that means Champions Cup is like seven months away, eight months away. So we got a long time to talk. And there's going to be a lot to talk about. The next time we talk, who knows, we could have another lacrosse team. I want to thank Tyson Geick for joining us and Marissa and Jemmy. You can find Tyson on Twitter at TysonLW. And Marissa is on Twitter at Marissa underscore and Jemmy. And just to be clear, there's only one S in Marissa. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Always love to interact with fans. And now that we have um, some things to talk about, would love to hear from you. Uh, when we talk next week, I'm going to give you maybe some thoughts on how to improve the Heritage Cup or how to move forward with the indoor game um, and maybe add some flavor to it. Uh, we'll touch base with somebody from the National Lacrosse League and somebody from outside the National Lacrosse League. We'll talk to somebody. Who knows? What happens between now and next Tuesday, we'll decide on who we talk to. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for coming back. And until next time. Be excellent to each other.